Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Really? There's monkeys everywhere! Get out of here! There's monkeys! It's not scary when we call them monkeys instead of apes! Monkeys! <laughs> I'm so annoying. Family. Future. I know why you're scared. It took us four years fighting that virus! But wait!
Our survivors! It was a virus created by scientists in a lab. You can't blame the apes. Who the hell else am I gonna blame? We need to give him a chance. Welcome to animals. Please. I've seen things. I've seen the way they are. They want what we want to survive. Caesar, home. This is your home. Your home. Are you aware they are going to turn on you? They don't want a war. No, don't shoot! Caesar, you have to go. Go where? Apes! Together! Strong! War, it's not what you want. There must be another way. We are talking about it. We're doing it. We are taking on these damn dirty apes. Ugh. And I, uh, this is the film board, our monthly special edition next reel show where we take on a current release movie. And this week, this weekend, this is the big one. Everybody's talking about apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'm Pete Wright. And we're here with Steve Sarmento. Mm, film board friend. Uh, Tommy Handsome. Hello, friends. Monkey joke. <laughs> Am I supposed to? Is that a cue? I don't know. All right. <laughs> and Andy Nelson. Hi. I have no monkey in me today. Oh, you do. You a little bit. You just have to bring out your inner. Oh, Jesus. Uh, just bring out your inner monkey. I didn't think we'd. I, I thought we'd have to tease it a little bit more. Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Uh, that's all right. And so uh, here I'm we easy. go. Matt Reeves. Uh, written by Mark Bomback, Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, uh, based on, you know, characters uh, mostly in the book Planet of the Apes by Pierre Boulle. And, you know, if you've uh, spent any time, uh, you know, watching... Uh, I don't know, are these, are, are these in uh, circulation right now? Have we seen these on, on uh, late-night cable in a while? Late I have never seen any of them, to be honest. Really? You, whoa, What? I mean, I know the spoiler alert at the end of the first one, but I've never seen any of them. I never grew up with them. I don't so, know. So you haven't seen the uh, the best of the series, the Mark Wahlberg. Oh, no, I did Wait, see that what? one, and that one made oh, me angry. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you owe it to yourself to go back and watch it. Yeah, yeah. No, you really do. And and you know what? I, I actually, it's it was a it's a real treat. I haven't watched them all, but, you know, iTunes uh, did this special, all five HD, uh, with uh, lots of behind-the-scenes stuff for like 20 bucks. And so I downloaded them all. I've been I've been watching them this weekend, and uh, I got to tell you, they those movies actually hold up pretty well. Yes, mm. they do. I was super surprised at once you get over the fact that those are, you know, their mouths don't quite work, um, <laughs> and occasionally Cause, when cause they it's open, all prosthetics. yeah, yeah, and occasionally when they open their maw, you know, their mouths, um, it, uh, occasionally when they open their mouths in there, uh, you see their second mouth. Inside oh, their no. eight mouth, yeah, yeah. 
if you're if you're not careful. Anyhow, we're not talking about those movies. We probably will, but we're not talking about those movies tonight. What we're really talking about is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, let's go around the horn. What do we think? Um, Andy, you go first. You never go first. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a big uh, Planet of the Apes fan. I enjoy all of the movies. Uh, and I actually rewatched the original five movies uh, to warm up for this and Rise of the Planet of the Apes, wisely skipping wow. Tim Burton's movie. And um, I, I, I just love the universe, and I really, really loved what they did with this film. And I love that it was really ape-centric, pretty much. And I felt they really did it, uh, this, did it justice with an amazing story and uh, mind-blowing effects. Excellent. Steve? Uh, I would have to say this was, you know, billed as like a summer blockbuster, but it doesn't to me really feel like a summer blockbuster. I mean, I love this film, but I'm, I'm excited to see that it, it's doing well, but it, it is so much more. There's so much more to the story than uh, just a typical summer blockbuster. So I think we'll have a lot to talk about. I'm really looking at forward to delving into some of the, the themes and topics that I see in this film, because there is so much that they did with this that it, it's just very impressive. Oh, I like where this is going, Tommy. Well, you're not going to like it as much. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm unfortunately, I'm very conflicted about the film. Uh, I thought it was uh, visually stunning and a lot smarter than it needed to be, which I always appreciate from a summer, tel- a summer tentpole like what Steve was just saying. But to be completely honest, I didn't actually enjoy the experience very much. Uh, for me, it was basically two hours of like a few decent humans and apes having their plans ruined by a bunch of jerks. I understand the allegory, but many sequences left me with, I don't know, no one to root for. Most of the time, I have to be honest, I just felt vaguely anxious and sad. I respect the movie, and I thought it was well made. I didn't enjoy it very much. Right? Anxious and sad. The whole time. You're the worst Amazon review ever. <laughs> Am I? Wow. Yeah. I, uh, you know what? I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, in between. I, I actually did enjoy myself at the movie. I found, um, you know, this is, uh, I guess I'm excited to see that this is an Andy Circus film. Uh, and it's an Andy Circus film uh, where he is getting top billing playing a performance captured character. I I love that. I love the whole co- idea that this movie showcases the technology in such a brilliant way um, as to capture who this character actor is and make a character monkey. Uh, I I was really moved by his performance, uh, and I I really could see him in it. Uh, so uh, once you peel back all my enthusiasm for him and what they did with the apes, um, you know, I found myself, um, you know, I, I was engaged the entire time with the exception of the interstitial sequences, particularly in the first hour, you know, they would go through these, these little sequences where there would be, you know, usually one or two characters talking and they would be uh, talking about backstory or uh, it, that just felt really kind of jarringly awkward to me. Um, you know, some of the, the interpersonal, the human interpersonal kind of uh, relationship dialogue, usually where they're, they're trying to tell me something that I probably should know um, in a way that, that didn't, didn't come off very smoothly and it, it sort of interrupted the flow of the film for me. So I had some challenges with the, with the you know, what I'm going to, to call script challenges. 
Um, but, you know, this was a film that I, I think couldn't have been told, uh, you know, without the technology catching up to the intention of the story. And I was really excited to see that. This is one of those showcase pieces for me. Uh, I don't know how well it's going to hold up. I guess like Tom, I, I feel like it, it, it may be... Um, it may have a shorter shelf life. So anyway, uh, still very excited about the film. I think that those who are most excited about the film should determine where we go from here. Steve, Andy, what do you want to talk about first? Why don't we talk about the story? It seems like yeah. uh, you know, the, the thing that's most conflicted. I think we all agree that the, the effects are stunning and phenomenal blowing as far as what they achieved in this film. Um, so oh, well, maybe we get that out of the way first, since we all agree on that point. And uh, I mean, I right from the beginning, I have to say, looking at Caesar in the opening shot, sitting there on a horse in the rain, um, I felt like I was looking at an actual creature that uh, was actually sitting there. It didn't in in no way did it look CG. It really blew my mind through the entire film, looking at these uh, these uh, chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans that they looked so real it's incredible and it's it it deserves i don't know it's probably pretty hackneyed to talk about but like in our lifetime can you remember what things used to look like <laughs> well it's really easy tommy because 1973 was wasn't that conquest of the planet of the apes or that maybe yeah. that was it, yeah, it was, that it was, was... battle for I, you know it, it was one of the last so we can actually chart in our lifetimes what the apes looked like yeah. over the last 40 years. I mean, that's unreal. Yeah. Well, we can even go back to last summer and the Wolverine and that bear, that CG bear from the beginning of Wolverine where he's oh, off yeah. in yeah. the wilderness. Oh, that was and then, trouble. And then, the, and then the bear and the and these these apes interacting yeah. in that, that initial scene. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm watching an international geographic documentary of these this wild tribe of apes. I mean, I can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. It was thrilling. Amazing. Agreed. Okay. And not just that they captured them so well, but that they they gave them such personalities, too. Uh, Because I know Andy Serkis is there acting uh, all of this out. I mean, if you've seen any of the behind the scenes of where you can see them in their motion capture suits, I mean, they're giving all of these actors are giving full on performances here. And the the amazing CG wizards are able to capture those performances in ways that, uh, I mean, really make these things live. That's really what makes you attached to them. And it, I mean, it really uh, it brings out authentic characters. You know, I, I would add to that, you know, we, we, we're going to talk, I'm sure, a lot about Andy Serkis and his performance. But in general, you know, you look at, at uh, the other primary apes, Toby Kebbell playing Koba, who, uh, you know, when you you go and find clips of this guy and see and watch his sort of humanity, it, it's it's incredible just how much of him is in this is in this character of Koba. I mean, it, just as Andy Serkis, this is this is a it, it seems really weird. And I keep catching myself to call Dawn of the Planet of the Apes a character film. Hmm. Yeah. But, but to me, it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many not slow, but soft, intimate uh, character moments with fake things. Yes. With things that don't really exist, uh, which is a phenomenal step forward. That's incredible. I I also liked uh, a bit the stuff that I did like. I love that the film, uh, this isn't a spoiler, begins and ends with 
I don't think it's a spoiler, begins and ends with a close-up of Caesar's eyes because I think that's where most of the humanity comes from. Yeah. I I personally think that's where a lot of the motion capture, like, fills it in, but it's the eyes that make things really, really work. I actually, I wrote that down, this whole idea of the uncanny valley, usually where... Uh, you know, where the effects in digital creatures fall apart is in the eyes. I did not question that once. Right. They they usually have dead doll eyes, yeah. like Polar Express and stuff like that. This was just, you were just really looking at a, a real thing. It's it, a good yeah. point. Yeah, it was incredible. And it made me wonder how much, if at all, were they actually capturing, like, the real eyes of the of those actors and using them a, you know, as the one human element in like a CG body, and I, I don't know, but I mean, the eyes did catch me as just being so authentic and so real that I was wondering that. I mean, I you know, it's it's that's the sort of amazing CG work that actually makes me ask that question. Well, it is, and and to to uh, to Tommy's point, clearly, the filmmakers realize that they've hit an achievement point here, like a milestone, or they wouldn't have opened and closed on such a dramatic close-up of those eyes. Yeah. That's that's them just, you know, taking taking another lap. That's right. Good job, me. Good job, me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> Does anybody have a an absolute favorite uh three-second-long uh, ape clip from the film that they would like to talk about because for all of us, it should be the same. Three seconds. Second long? It's a gorilla. Three seconds. It's, it's a gorilla? It made me what? so happy I nearly stood up. Nothing? Wow. I, I was going to say the shot at my... the top of the tank. <laughs> it, was in, it was in that fight. There but is no. a sequence where a gorilla walks up to a barrel and stands up oh. and throws the barrel. It was a full-on yeah. three-second Donkey Kong homage, <laughs> and I nearly oh. stood up and applauded. Uh, I nearly really stood up. I, did, were I didn't even think of that. It was I didn't his, either. It throwing was so funny. Barrels. Throwing yeah. barrels. shot, but I didn't think that that was really. Do you really think that that's what they were going for? That's I funny. hope to God they were. That is that <laughs> would that would just make my experience complete. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, I nearly shouted in the theater. I was like, "Don't talk!" So oh god, <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. I remember <laughs> the exact shot you're talking about, but it was, but that whole sequence, spoiler alert, was a very difficult sequence for me. The entire huge battle, but I think we're, we're we can get to that later. Okay. I'd like to talk about that though. All right, Steve, where where do you want to go from here? Well, if we're well, we can talk about. I mean, the moment for me at you know that was really powerful was, and this is going to, it throws us into sort of the turning point of the film is there's a scene where, you know, there's just flames everywhere. And we have a scene with, with Koba and um, Blue Eyes, Caesar's son, standing there. And there's sort of this agreement and understanding that they now have as sort of the, you know, the, the ape, city is just you know being engulfed in flames and they're sort of silhouetted by those flames and it for me that was just a powerful moment and i looked at that afterwards i thought about that scene and thought i don't know that there was anything actually there i mean it, you've got actors yes but <laughs> again you know flame everything but for to have one of the most emotionally powerful moments in that film at that turning point be something that was probably at least 95 percent 
created on a computer is again I think speaks to the level of achievement that we've we've gotten to with the ability to create and generate realistic environments. Steve, maybe this is along your um, along the lines of of a theme that you were thinking of, which is this idea of of parallelism uh, in the film. That essentially what we have is the same story being told uh, with humans and then with apes. Right? You, it's sort of a mirror story. Am yeah, I alone exactly. there? Oh no, no I, you're I, you're I, exactly right. right. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's. I, I was sort of going through my notes, and that was my my first response was, "You've got these two these two men, you know, that have are trying to create a safe environment for their family, and you've got one that's you know." You know, sort of a, a family that's now sort of cobbled together from the remnants of humanity. You've got a father and his son and his 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 girlfriend, and they're trying to establish this family. And then you've got Caesar and his family and his community. And I thought, okay, there's there's something there, and there's that parallelism there. But what I thought was really interesting as I thought about it more was the humans need the apes. That's what they set up early on that the humans, they're not going to be able to achieve their goal unless they contend with the apes and come to terms with this, whereas the apes don't really need the people. What is it that they, they need? Nothing. They need, they need to be left alone. Um, and so I thought, okay, so what is, what is the difference between that? Why is that the setup? Why is there not sort of that parallelism of the humans having something that the apes need? And that leads down a, a broader path to a much larger theme, I think, which is about you almost get into colonialism of what happens when a society that is now crumbling has to contend with something that it has created because the apes these intelligent apes are the the byproduct of something that the humans did and if we translate that into what how does america deal with we have taken on this stance of creating little democracies. Now, what happens when our society starts to scramble and these democracies now have to be, are, become something that we have to contend with where we used to be in control and now we're not in control. And we may need to have to go to them for things that, and they don't need us. So what is that relationship going to look like? And, you know, you look at the, you know, as, as Tom said, you've got these characters that are going to stir the pot, that are going to be these, you know, we've got these these bad guys on both sides that are have this animosity for, for, you know, very realistic reasons for the humans. You've got those that, that hold the apes responsible for the simian outbreak that, that took away their families. You've got Koba who has, you know, this history with he, being abused by humans. So you've got these uh, voices within these, you know, tribes, for lack of a better term, that, that don't trust the other. And I think that's the same situation we have here in America of, We've got to deal with these other societies or civilizations. There's people within our tribe that don't trust them. There's people within their tribe that don't trust us. But we can either try to work together to be successful or we can end up destroying each other. And it was something that I thought, wow, this is a lot more going on in this story than just there's some apes that, that look cool and people and there's fights and stuff. There's a much broader theme about how, how we survive in this world. I completely uh, and agree. Something, I mean, yep. Oh, Everybody something loves that... what Steve said. <laughs> sorry. Well, it's, 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 it's something that the, the Ape series has been doing from the beginning, talk, dealing with whether it's you know, nuclear war or race relations. You know, they've always been trying to find a way to 
incorporate uh, elements of what was going on in society at the time into the films. And that's why I think that it's a, it's a series that has stood the test of time. And it can be viewed as just kind of a fun sci-fi film uh, that, you know, gives you a lot of action and adventure and, and you know, fighting and, and apes. But when you look at it, when you step back and you look at it, there's a lot of other interesting things going on that are definitely worth talking about. And that's one thing that always has drawn me to the series. <laughs> maybe, to be honest, uh, like maybe that's this is me bending down and holding up my monkey hand uh, for forgiveness <laughs> is that maybe that's part of why I didn't quote unquote enjoy it. Is it rem I think, you know, of course, consciously or subconsciously. You know, it, it touches on things like Native Americans versus America. It touches on political parties like Tea Party, you know, Republican versus Democratic. And it definitely has a lot of potential ramifications uh, from September 11th. The idea of using fear to motivate, to do whatever, to, to, you know, when something terrible happens, then reason gets thrown out of the room. Maybe I just have too much anxiety about that and mob mentality. And instead of enjoying how smart it was for bringing up those kind of ideas in a new way, I just felt sort of uncomfortable with it. I'm willing to concede that. Well, I, you know, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting perspective too. It's this idea, and I, I think what it, um, I, one of the things I like about it, this movie is a celebration of, of cultural conflict when these belief systems uh, come into too close a proximity. What happens, you know? And and you know, I want to go back to something you said, Steve. This this idea that the apes don't need anything. I think one of the things that uh, uh, that really stuck out for me, even though there was a, an obvious and practical need on the the human side right they needed to get this dam working and the apes lived on the dam right so they needed to get this dam working so that they could have power and heat and the ticking clock was you know they're running out of gas they got two weeks and they've got nothing left um, so they had a practical need but over and over again you see examples in the ape community of uh, their burgeoning civilization their cultural identity that is still so new uh, breaking down Right. What what I kept finding myself thinking mm. is, God, they really need what they need more than anything else is humanity. Right. They need to have they need to find a coexistence that works so they can continue to learn everything that Planet of the Apes sets up uh, is all about what you know, how it starts for Caesar to learn from humanity. The good and the bad, and it seems like where when things fall apart, it's when that mob mentality takes over. It's when that the 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 sort of lower level cultural mentality takes over, and they forget where they are moving toward and start falling back to the more animalistic where they are coming from. And one of the things I love so much about the ape civilization, that ape culture, is because there is just enough humanity in it. Uh, I think we get to that they're holding up that mirror for us to look in the face of Koba when he's doing that stupid monkey dance to get closer to the guns, when he is lasciviously looking at the ca the crates of weapons, uh, we get to see ourselves. Uh, I thought that was a particularly powerful uh, need uh, on behalf of the apes. But... If we're looking at our, if they are us looking at ourselves, what are, what humanity are they finding? 
Well, I'm still not sure that that Take a look at these sequences, like uh, particularly when they were ready, you know, that you could tell there was great pain in the fact that that Caesar's wife was ill. Right. There was great pain, but they didn't know what to do. They they sort of end up resorting to this. Hey, we're going to just we're going to have to watch her. We've done our best. We're going to watch her go. And now we, we see there's medicine. Well, there's there. That's a system uh, that that we can put into place, a system of trust we can put into place to to uh, to heal one another. Is that humanity or is that advancement? Oh, I think uh, one sort of washes the hand of the other. OK, I think we sure. advancement comes from a need uh, to for, work together, to, to work oh, together. Right. Sure. So. Yeah. So it, to me, that that was, um, you know, I, I loved watching the apes, you know, kind of discover that. And, and particularly the, you know, big spoiler uh, when Koba attempts to assassinate Caesar, um, you know, that, in, in fact, is the worst example of humanity. Right, uh, you know, that, that taking the very worst of what we have to leverage for personal gain and to oh to, Caesar, oh dumb, I just yeah, I yeah. just figured that out. I had to. Am I Brute? the only one that just figured that out? I totally am. Please write down the time code and take this out because it's so embarrassing <laughs> that he was destroyed by his own people. Okay, mm. got it. Ooh, I was, I immediately was like Lion King. Probably oh, because probably yeah, because the bad guy has a scar <laughs> on his face. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I might not be smart. Okay, go ahead. Although to be fair, Caesar in the uh, is in the original series, and he isn't taken down by his own people. Okay. So it's it's really I think more. I mean, it plays well a throwback to the original series plus kind of that tie in to getting assassinated by one of his own. Okay. Well, and then and Andy, maybe you can talk to that uh, in a little bit too. It's this idea that this is not. You know, this is not a remake, but a reboot, even though the, you know, the, the premise is notoriously close to the last two movies uh, of the original. Yeah, uh, but first, let me, just to the, the point you were just uh, uh, making, um, the, the idea of the humanity, I think, also, it comes out in the fact that this is a new civilization that is just trying to figure out what it is. And, and really, I mean, because apes have never had this level of intelligence before. And they're, I mean, 10 years into it now, but they're still trying to sort things out. And they're still at this naive system of their own understanding that ape will not kill ape. And, you know, don't trust humans, only trust apes. And I think there's an interesting level of the growth of their humanity in understanding what trust is and, and how trust doesn't come from people who are just your kind, but coming from, but that there are other people out there who are good people and there are people of your kind that aren't good people. And I thought that was a really interesting growth of the oh. humanity of these apes in the film that... Uh, I, I found to be one of the more powerful elements uh, told in the story. Totally agree. That's a good point. It, it starts as like four legs good, two legs bad. Right. But then it becomes something. Oh, that's, that's really smart. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So are you convinced yet or shall we keep going? I'm working on it. All right. <laughs> and I forgot completely what, quest, what other question you had asked me, Pete. Which it was about the, uh, this idea, you know, uh, we were talking about the, the parallels between, I think just briefly for those who haven't oh, yeah. seen right. or haven't, you know, you've, you watched these things recently. Um, he, well, I, I think that the, you know, the original series, you know, you've got 
the Planet of the Apes, which people have an understanding, you know, what happens there, and then beneath the Planet of the Apes, where a second uh, rocket lands on the planet, figures out what's going on, and they're trying to find uh, Taylor's char- uh, Taylor uh, Charlton Heston's character. And he had gone underground, and it, it, it turns into this kind of, it's kind of the silliest of the movies. There's a, an underground tribe of humans that worship this doomsday device, and the apes end up attacking, and, and basically this doomsday device gets set off uh, by Charlton Heston, and it actually destroys the planet. The planet is obliterated. And then in the third film, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, you find out that Cornelius and Zira, along with one other ape, uh, managed to uh, get into Taylor's spaceship and escape from the planet. And somehow, because the planet exploded, they went through a time hole and ended up back in 1971. And uh, it, it's, it's the strangest of the movie. It's, uh, the, the concept, the whole conceit of the time travel is, I think, the weakest element in the whole series of The Planet of the Apes. The fact that the way that apes ended up becoming intelligent is through this time loop where they went from the future into the past and then they had their son Caesar who ended up rising and creating uh, the ape system, the ape society. And I think what they have done smartly with this reboot, starting with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, is take the, the, the silliest element of that whole initial series, which is the time travel element, and go, okay, that's how they said the apes came into existence. Let's come up with a new way that these apes came to be and so they came up with this uh you know this alzheimer's drug right exactly and and that is essentially kind of the they didn't reboot necessarily the first or second films they really kind of rebooted it at the time where apes time traveled back to our present and kind of set that ball rolling and i think that this is a, a much smarter way to tell the story and i i like that it's really um the humans who you know like in a way, like Charlton Heston says at the end of the first movie, uh, you did it, I'm speaking to the, the nuclear holocaust and everything, but really it's like you also did this. You also are the ones who created this Planet of the Apes by uh, by trying to mess with nature. Yeah, and it's, I, a, it's an interesting development. I, I think that's an important thing to to have walked through, Andy, Because I and, and check me on this, but I find I uh, have a greater appreciation for these two movies, Rise and Dawn, you know, having seen where they came from, uh, because now I can see where they're going. You know, you can sort of see how they're set. I mean, we know how it ends, right? We we know how it ends because it yeah, ends it's, with it's the kind original. Of a spoiler alert! Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it ends with the original Planet of the Apes, right? We right. we end by seeing what civilization looks like that has been totally uh, kind of re. Uh, redone by sophisticated uh, apes. Uh, but yeah. I love the journey, and and I think, you know, they made some smart choices with this one in particular. Uh, it is uh, who was it who said this is not a this this feels like uh, more than a tentpole. Uh, Steve, Tom, one of you guys said this. That, well, I think both we both did. Yeah, I said I, that yeah. it was a lot smarter than it needed yes, to be. Yes, that's right. right. That's yeah. right because it's there's this idea that this the film itself is a it's kind of a small film. Right, it, it's sort of an intimate thing. Like it's it it is all about these it, like tribes in the woods in one place in California. It does not. It's not about a planet of the apes. It's about kind of yeah, you know between Mere Woods and San Francisco. 
right? It, it's really that's not a really big stretch, and yeah. uh, and and so it, it you have this feeling of compression in the film. I think that that um, that allows it to to take on a bit of a, a more of a nuanced approach to the timeline that we know uh, has this inevitable end, and I really appreciate that choice. Even you didn't feel like it was kind of it felt long to me. Two hours and 12 minutes. You didn't feel like it was kind of spinning its wheels sometimes with like trying to do something and a jerk makes it fail, trying to do something, a jerk makes it fail, trying to do something, a jerk makes it fail. It all moved forward for you enough. It did. It did for me. I, you know, it Fair was enough. This, you know, only be, and again, this is why I said I, this may not have a great, uh, as great a shelf life in that regard because, you know, I was still really so fascinated uh, by what I was seeing. Um, that every time a jerk made it fail and there was some sort of ape retaliation, I was in it. Okay. What's the name of the actor uh, that who played <laughs> the first guy that shoots uh, uh, an ape? The guy um, that knows how the... Do we know the name Kirk, of that actor? Uh, Kirk Acevedo. Ooh, good. Wow, good pull. He yeah. was insane. <laughs> he was yeah. so insanely evil and mean that just started my like even when the little most adorable baby monkey and i don't care for monkeys spoiler alert yeah this is something that i should, <laughs> probably should have been made earlier uh should should have been made um obvious earlier but like are you are you scared of monkeys? do you have like a fear of monkeys like many people of clowns is that kind of what we're talking about or i think so i don't know i find them i don't find them adorable but mostly because we keep dressing them up as humans and i don't care for it in pictures mm-hmm. on my Pinterest. All right, I'll go away. Uh, point being is even when, like, the most adorable little puppy monkey is, like, playing around, he's immediately, like, trying to stomp on it and stuff. Like, that stuff just made me the, – the, the ignorance, the anger, the fear in the film was so wrongheaded that it just made me feel uncomfortable. And I didn't enjoy – it made me – it hurt for me the setbacks of like what the heroes were trying to do. Oh, you're just talking about because you were, you were having a reaction to like the bigotedness of it. Yeah, maybe. And I'm, and I'm very, very willing to say that it's me and not the film, but I just was like, yeah, but you're just the worst of humanity. And we're putting you in the same situation always with the best of humanity, ape humanity or human humanity. And so it just kind of felt like, Oh, we have this great plan, and then dumbness is just hitting us down and hitting us down. The 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 interesting thing about that, though, that I think plays in a in a unique way, maybe, is that um, this is a film with talking apes. Yep. Which, which you know none of these people had ever seen before, and so I think that they're. I mean, if I were to see an, a talking ape, I would naturally be very. Uh, reserved and uh, you know afraid to open up to it i you know it's it's one of those things where it's just like there's a there's a way of relating to people uh that i think in in the situation where you're coming up against a different tribe you can find some way to kind of communicate and and come together and everything when you find a tribe of of apes that up to this point you had never seen before in your life other than like in a zoo or in you know wildlife documentaries acting like we've always seen them doing if it were to do something completely 
different. I don't know how I would react. I don't know if I would be any different than Carver was. You know, I mean, uh, paranoid about this this animal that uh, you know there's there's many more of them than there are of me and a- am i going to react differently than him would i be able to be as bold and strong as malcolm was with these things i don't know i mean it's it you know it's a completely you know foreign situation to be asked well, to be put into well, that's I think a really Andy, really great point well i think if we if you go back to sort of you know the expositional title sequence they do address that you know they talk about the roots of the simian outbreak, and they, they do have newsreel footage of, you know, the battle of, you know, on the bridge. So it wasn't that, you know, their only, you know, knowledge of these apes. I think they were aware that there was something different, that these apes had been part of some assault on on people. You know, I, obviously, I don't know that they knew that they spoke, but I think they were aware that there was something different about them. I think they're shocked at the extent that they're organized, but I, I always took that as some sense that there was this rebellion with these apes that, that were led by, by Caesar and that there was some awareness of that. I think they weren't expecting to encounter them there, but I, I, I would, my interpretation was always that they were familiar with, there was a group of apes out there that were more than the typical, you know, apes that you see in the zoo or at National Geographic. There was something distinct, you know, because they know the roots of the simian outbreak have to do with some genetic engineering and they talk about Caesar in that uh, in the opening sequence so I'd say that to me I always took the hostility as more of the they you know that wrongheadedness of I'm blaming these apes for this this you know virus that killed you know most of humanity and they try to explain well you know we're the ones that created that but for them it's still that that wrong-headedness, that closed-mindedness of, well, it's called the simian flu because it came from the apes, so the apes are at fault, and I'm going to hold them culpable for for my loss and all that hatred uh, that that Carver has, that that uh, Gary Oldman's you know character Dreyfus has, and I always took it as more of that there was just that animosity of the, that lashing out towards as as part of that that grief, that anger and grief of the families that have been lost and and coming face to face with who it is that you you hold you know accountable for that they're the ones that caused this that's why my family isn't here this is why my friends aren't here that's why we as a people aren't here is because of these apes and i think that that's what i always took it as not so much as the the just coming across something unknown or unexpected there was something more something more sinister and hostile uh in, in, in his anger. Well, I, and I would agree. Apes. I think if you look at Koba, too, that's the parallelism coming back right. into play, right? Both right. of these guys, it wasn't just wrongheaded. It was it was vengeance. Right. And, and right. Tommy, going back to your point about the, you know, the guys that are always going to, you know, do the wrong thing and, you know, um, despite the good people that want a good thing things done, I don't, just watch the news. <laughs> We live in no. I live in Arizona. We see it. I mean, in in this country, all the time, we see people just like that. And I, to me, it was part of something that we always see, where there's always some something good that we as a people can do. And then there's always going to be a couple outspoken individuals that will right. represent this very external point of view that can completely derail the best 
of intentions and drive a wedge between something that at a very crucial juncture of coming to some type of, of peace or agreement that can be quickly undermined by the actions of just a few individuals. Now, let me just say, I just watched Snowpiercer, and if ever there was an example well, we got a whole separate case. discussion about that later uh, on. I know, That's and we will. Oh, but I just want to say, I'm seeing that soon. Don't spoil all that. I want to say <laughs> is that that Chris Evans totally ruins a whole perfect system. <laughs> Tell me if you agree once you see it, Tommy. Uh, That's funny. Let's talk. No, about, go ahead. I understand. Oh, just to finish. I mean, yeah. I really appreciate what you guys are saying, and potentially, you know, in the start, I didn't say that it was a bad movie. I said that I didn't enjoy it. And I'm willing to take on that maybe it just deals really smartly in a way that I wasn't prepared for from a summer oh, yeah. temple of you're dealing with things. Thinking, yeah. You, like, you said, hey, who put politics in my popcorn movie? What's going right. on here? <laughs> and usually I'd be okay with that. But, it, I mean, now thinking about it, hearing what you guys are saying, mob mentality, uh, fear-mongering, using propaganda, uh, and then also, as a complete side note, animals being hurt let's talk about are, that are four things that i are intrinsically in me like i hate so potentially i liked like this is a great movie and i didn't enjoy it just because i'm me and that's okay but i should but i mean i like the idea of that it's not a, a failing of the movie it's just that it just hit too many buttons for me it was too smart in ways of things that I really hate and don't want to watch. Fair enough? <laughs> totally fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I want to talk about the, a little bit about the battle in, the, in that context, too, because, you know, one of the things that they did with this battle scene is, you know, I, I think it was timed Which really— battle scene? The well, big this was the, big, the big thing, the invasion, yeah, where the apes kind of— uh, The crashed. assault on the tower. The assault on the tower. Led by Scar. Yeah. Right, right, Scar. I'm calling him Scar. Co I can't remember. Right, Coba. Uh, so this is one of those things that I think was timed really well. Um, I I feel like at the point that, for me, uh, I'm curious about your statement, Tom, because for me, by the time we see this attack, uh, these apes are, to me, not animals anymore. And I found that right. interesting. I had I didn't make that connection until you just said it about animals being hurt. Animals being hurt, like the opening sequence when the bear slashes at, at Blue Eyes, and that, that was, there was real threat there. And I was actually, I was afraid for the ape. Uh, but by the time the battle happens, I, they weren't apes in my, in my head anymore. And it was just, it, this, they had, had absorbed, like we said, the worst of humanity, and they were executing on that. Um, and I thought in, in that respect, that was sort of sleight of hand, emotional sleight of hand. Uh, that they got me to feel that way about these animals that are usually, you know, I would want to snuggle with. I have uh, something to say about the battle, but I think it might sideline what you're talking about. So let's keep going with that for now. No, no, no. I but was done. Who else? Uh, what else? What do you think? I was going to say that that's where I think I came up with. That's where I started to get really upset. Is that incredibly visualized the on top of the tank visualization to use cgi in such a smart and limited way of this like almost like you're trapped by the camera as the uh tank turret is going around i thought oh. that was thrilling 
Yeah. I thought it was so, such a smart way because CGI, like we talked about with Godzilla, certain filmmakers, <clears throat> Michael Bay, like they would say, <laughs> like just because they can show you everything, they would. Smart filmmakers use CGI and then like shadow the view. But then again, while I loved that entire shot so much, where I really started to get distanced from this movie was from that entire battle sequence because that's when I realized I didn't I didn't know who I was rooting for. Oh, that's so great. Yes. I had no one to root for and then that's that's what I mean when I say like I got anxious and vaguely sad. It's because I didn't know where to put my emotions. There's a lot of animals and a lot of people being hurt, and I don't have anyone that I know who to win for, so that's just not fun for me. I'm not saying it's not smart. I'm just saying it's like I'm not enjoying myself. It's just sad and tragic and weird. Well, I think that you know the, the Ape series has had definitely a lot of tragedy in it as you build to some of these endings that you know kind of keep moving the story in a, in a, in a way that is you know, it's challenging. The first one ends discovering that uh, humans obliterated the Earth and that's where they really are. The second one ends with uh, destruction of the planet. The third one ends with uh, Cornelius and Zira getting killed. I, I'm spoiling all these original movies, but I mean, they all have this horribly tragic uh, tone to them. And it, it seems like that's really the direction that they've always been going with these films. Even Rise of the Planet of the Apes definitely has that as, as these apes, yes, they gain freedom, but it's it's very uh, painful. He has to separate from his you know his human friend that he he has uh, grown up with, and uh, it 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 always has kind of had a tone that is more difficult. And yes, you could say that Caesar is the protagonist of the film, and we're kind of following his journey in this story. But it does. You're right. It makes it very hard to watch that scene when Caesar is taken out of the picture for a while, and we're left watching this just this horror unfold uh, uh it's a war based was, on a lie right yeah, my friend sitting yeah. next to me he, he he leaned over and said i hate i i hate where this is i know where this is going and i hate it yeah. um because as much as he loved the movie i mean he could see this you know de uh, this devastation that was coming and it really is it's it's a horrible thing to have to watch I think well, that's part of the thing that, that was so exciting for me about it. And I think the last yeah, line yeah. really, uh, really cinches it, uh, you know, when they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're holding each other, uh, Caesar and, and um, what's his name? Malcolm. 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 <laughs> the actor, Jason Clark, but Malcolm, uh, they are, they're sitting there talking and he says, you know, war, uh, you know, the war's begun and we can't stop it. I don't remember what the ex exact yeah. um, words were, but, but uh, you know, we started the war and... Uh, we can we'll never be forgiven. Humans, humans will not forget. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and humans will not forget. So, it, you know, this is that, you know, because what I found myself rooting for was not one side or the other, but, oh, my God, please, let's... let's I'm rooting for some civil-headed leader and and right. not to get sucked in i want i i want to see you know resolution but i feel like they have to take it to an even darker place in order to reward us with that resolution and that that is even more <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm saying like that's even more uh pretext for the next movie to come which you know is going to be the war movie i mean it's right. going to be world war z of apes right um is it well it's 
yeah, very, well, very yeah, little happened in this movie overall. Well, that's yeah. that's. I mean, that's really. I mean, I think that that uh, the assault on the on the tower is you know is, is the first battle in the war, and 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 Caesar's final statement in this film, I think, suggests and and based on the fact that Dreyfus tells Malcolm, you know, the army's coming. We got in touch with them. They're on their way. This is now going to grow into a much larger scale. Oh, That's right. where we yeah, get yeah. to. It, it started as a tiny story. It started as, you know, we, as we discussed, Caesar's story. And we have Malcolm's story sort of parallel in that. And if you think about it, you know, Malcolm is really that uh, whenever you're in a new world, you know, in, in the realm of science fiction, you often need that character that, that doesn't quite get anything so that the audience can see the film through his or her eyes to understand things. And I think in this film, that's where we, the audience starts to identify with Malcolm when he's at the bottom of the tower, Dreyfus and the other guys have, you know, rigged C4 to bring the tower down. It's, we know Caesar's up there trying to, to take back his throne, basically to take back control of the apes so that we can have this, this civil, you know, headed leader. And he's trying to tell them, just give them a mo- give them time. We, they need time. And they're like, they're confused. What? They're apes. We're going to bring this thing down because we need to eliminate them. And at that moment, I thought, well, this is really interesting because in the story of Caesar, what, what role do these humans have is we as an audience? Because I agree with Tom, when we think Caesar's dead, the, the apes are assaulting the tower. It's like, this is now going to become, you know, who do I root for? Is this going to be, you know, Empire Strikes Back ending on such a down ending where we've got, you know, just feeling horrible about this tragic loss. But we get that resolution with Malcolm, I think, of we've got somebody that sees that potential that we can root for that's going to fight the good fight. Uh, and I think that's the twist, the turn that I really enjoyed in terms of the story of how they redeemed sort of that darkness of that assault on the Tower with the Apes uh, is, is that moment with, with Malcolm holding that, you know, holding Dreyfus and those guys up and saying, you know, no. Don't take down the tower. Yes. Yeah, you guys are making a lot of, but again, it's it's you know I wasn't trying to be like argued. I wasn't trying oh, no, to be convinced no. that the film is good. I was just saying that I didn't enjoy it. Oh no! But I, I but I like that you guys that the points. I mean, even just what you just said. There's the it's so much smarter than it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> in right. such yes. a good way That's of like point, about yeah. diplomacy about current. You know, xenophobia, current relations, current everything, political everything is just, it's interesting of like, what's the best way to make an allegory of how we yeah. deal with each other is ape versus man. There's, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's not fun for me, but it's very yeah. smart. Well, what I find it really impressive is, you know, what I understand from just reading a few of the articles is that initially when, when Matt Reeves came on board, the original story was set to take place much farther in the future where the apes civilization have really been firmly established more along the lines of the original Planet of the Apes film. And he said, no, we need to bring this, we need to bring this back because we, we ended with Caesar in the woods and that. So what, what happens before we get to the Planet of the Apes and to, to be able to bring the story back and then architect something this complex, uh, work, you know, the writers to be able to pull something like this together, as I understand it in a matter of just a few months is truly impressive uh to have a story that that resonates on so many levels that works that to me just 
clicking on all cylinders at all, at all times where I see what's coming. Uh, it, it makes sense. I can understand everybody's motives, you know, to even have, you know, Dreyfus, you know, his iPad, you know, booting up and seeing the pictures and understanding again for him where that anger is coming from, that he's not just, oh, I'm the... I'm going to be the villainous human that's just got this grudge against apes because the story needs that. It's we, we're going to take a moment to get into this, to these characters and to be able to write that and structure it so that it just, you know, for two hours and 12 minutes to keep us on the edge of our seats and, uh, and that it's, it's a range worth of it. emotions. Yes, exactly. Like there's that, the one guy who, who's the name again? Kirk Asino. Yeah, the worst. Carver. The worst. <laughs> like he was Carver. the worst. <laughs> He he made me very angry. He was just like <laughs> anger and grossness for anger and grossness sake. But I do like what you just said, Steve, and also the fact that we weren't treating the apes like just these this perfect society that then uh, humans are like, ah, we're jerks. We want to come in and mess up your thing. That there's also anger and grossness and vindic- vindictiveness, understandable or not. I like that it was a ape versus human but one side wasn't right yeah both sides were very broken yeah, yeah. which i which i appreciated again apparently i didn't enjoy but i appreciate it how how did let's talk a little bit more about uh, matt reeves and some of the choices he made what do you think uh, how did this hold up uh, for those you know I, I mean matt reeves i think the the biggest thing he made prior to this is cloverfield uh loved directed. it loved it uh it. Go and ahead then and then, then the, let uh, me in, right? They did uh, let me in, right. I, yeah. uh, as you may well expect, did not see Let Me In, uh, but Horror Connoisseurs Among Us. What do we think of that one? Oh, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, I had to see the original first, um, saw that, and then saw this, trying to understand, you know, in a, w- with such a smart film, what, why remake it and, and can you pull it off? Because I had been tremendously disappointed by the American version of The Vanishing because that was such a stellar foreign film. And then to see the, the English, you know, the American version ruin it, to see the same thing happen with La Femme Nikita and Point of No Return, I was really concerned about a, a really strong uh, film being sort of remade. And to me, it, it works entirely on its own. It is a sharp film. Uh, I totally did not... See that uh, Cody Smith McPhee was he was in that, but that was you know five years ago. He was a little kid then, and now he's playing Malcolm's son in this this film. Because I'm like, why does he look familiar? And then Andy pointed out to me he was also the kid from The Road. Yep. Uh, oh, so, yeah. but uh, no, Matt Reeves. I'm really interested to see where he goes, uh, where his career takes him, because everything that he's done has been of quality. Uh, always been impressed with with his filmmaking so i'm very excited to see what he tackles next agreed i think he's fantastic and i loved cloverfield i liked uh let me in very much uh and i felt like it was closer to like a remake like the ring where it took it took uh foreign i don't know if i'm sounding like it took things that don't quite work in american sensibilities but made them work without cheapening the film at all yes exactly Uh, so, do you feel like he's directed enough to be able to see this is a Matt Reeves film? Are you seeing any of his sort of uh, tropes and style? I, I don't know Ooh, that he's that's a filmmaker tough. that has that characteristic style that you could say, "Oh, that's a Matt Reeves shot," or "That's that's a structure he uses." I, I'd say just that a competent filmmaker that produces quality work. I, I'd have to see more. Uh, I'm not as familiar with his work in television to see what. What he does stylistically, 
Wait, you're not up on that, Felicity? I can say I can say offer one thing, and it's kind of <laughs> okay. Uh, it's uh, repeating something that I said before, but the creative use of CGI, knowing when yeah. not to, just because you can make it show it, the impossible. Oh, with like Don't, Cloverfield, yeah. It, with Cloverfield, it was yeah. exists in shadows. It's a right. lot of like just show enough to entice you. Because then the what you can't see is so much more terrifying than what you can't. So he keeps the door closed a lot. And I thought that in this film, especially with like the tank scenes, some of the uh, big scenes were done where you can see a whole like a zillion apes running towards the fortress. But it's there in rack focus, out of focus. And instead you're seeing Gary Oldman's terror looking at them. That's better than just seeing a zillion apes run towards the forest. Yeah, which, you know, is interesting, given how many times we saw a zillion apes in the forest. Like, you're right. I mean, his, his choices are, uh, I think, what's, what's important to note here. But I, I found myself, I, I think he can get away with more CG, given how good the CG is. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, where, there was, seemed like a lot of apes. <laughs> Were we like... Was yeah. there like an ape factory? I feel like a lot of apes died, and then there was always more apes. Did that bother anyone else? I'll be over here. Okay. No, cool. I. Uh-huh. You know, I'm trying. To, I think you're. I, I actually had that that same feeling, but I, I let it go. Okay, fair but enough. But there were a, there were a lot of apes. I mean, you know, they said yeah. initially there were like eighty more than eighty. Uh, right. Yeah. But then <laughs> yeah. that's a lot more than eighty. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, we know that there was you know there's an army of apes. It was it was an army of apes, and I, I think the challenge was that they only showed that one ape set for the ape home. Right. Right. They only mm-hmm. showed that one set, and and where it sort of teases, they sort of tease it out when um, when Malcolm. Uh, walks up the the path, you know, and he's walking under that um, under the arch of sticks, that kind of bridge, and the gorillas come out from behind him. That you get right. that's the first time I think you get a sense that apes live. They're all over the elsewhere, place. right? They right. don't all yeah. live up under the tree. Um, right. So that that I think they get away with hiding apes that then suddenly appear in rank and file. That was neat because I hadn't re-seen the old one and then until I got reminded from this one, but that there, when in the initial walk-up, when he's first holding out his hands, that that sign from the windows, they've yeah, right. etched that onto a lot of the wood. I thought that was really sweet. I like that. Okay. Uh, what, else do we, that. what else do we think of? Uh, uh, let's just walk through some of the per- other performances. I, you know, we Jason Clark plays Malcolm, and I think we've, um, he's, uh, you know, I think he he serves a great role and also plays it really well. He's sort of un, unspoken, solid performance uh, uh, that that might get hidden in the the uh, the wake of of Andy Serkis and and crew. Yeah, I think he brings a lot of humanity to it. Uh, I mean, you can see it maybe a little a little uh, strong. I know. I think Entertainment Week, Weekly said, you know, they felt like uh, Jason Clark uh, was was so cheerful through so much of the movie that they felt like they needed to give him a, a tissue, and uh, which I, you know, <laughs> I I can see that I guess, but I actually really connected with his performance. I I felt he showed the fear, like when when he was brought into the ape. Uh, the the living area, that and 
and, yeah. and just you could see absolute horror on his face and just that fear, that look on his face, like, I have no idea what's about to happen, but I very well could die. Yeah. And I think he conveyed that through uh, so many of his looks throughout the film. So I, major kudos to him, I think. I would just add, uh, this is the film that actually has me, and I know, Andy, you and your inner child aren't talking, but uh, this <laughs> this actually is the is the film that has me actually excited a little bit for Terminator Genesis, uh, in which Jason Clark will be playing John Carter, or John Connor. John Carter. <laughs> Wait, <please. laughs> that'd be an interesting, interesting mashup. Yeah, it would be an interesting John, John Connor. Connor. Uh, so I, that'll be interesting. So, do we want to talk about Felicity, Carrie Russell? She it's always cried nice a lot. To see her in things. She was, I, you know, it's weird. Her strongest performance, I think, uh, that is was in uh, the first ten minutes of what was it, Mission Impossible Three, when her brain blew up inside of her skull. <laughs> but you know what? I that's a, so mean. I know, but you know what? I don't mean it as mean. Like I. I love well, seeing her, her, her panic before like, that. Happened. Well, yeah. you know, her like her. She was like juiced on adrenaline. They shot her in the heart with the adrenaline monkey juice. And then she became she was like strong and I'm going to shoot stuff and then get on a helicopter. And then my brain blows up. And I thought that was so cool seeing her in, in that kind of a role. And I wanted to see that kind of energy and excitement from her in this film. And instead, she was she was sort of a set piece. Uh, so for an actress that I genu- generally uh, quite like, and I think she does strong characters well, I felt like she was underused here. I thought she was too, yeah. I mean, she it was. I got uncomfortable because she was crying in every single scene that she was in for a while. And then she was competent but only off screen. <laughs> like there was a lot of like operating and stuff like that, but always <laughs> happened when we weren't watching. Um, I had well, I one. Think... Di- go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, mine is a dumb joke. Oh, okay. Oh, first? well then we want it. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just because we brought up Carrie Russell, <laughs> this might not be uh, Pete, write down the time code. This might not be funny for anyone, but the scene where they find Caesar hurt and alive, shot but alive, uh, and they load him into the back of a van, uh, and he's sort of talking and saying, it's ape, not human, and Carrie Russell says, try not to speak, you need to rest. I thought that she should say, try not to speak, you need to rest. Also, try not to speak. You're a monkey. You're freaking everyone out. Stop talking. You're a monkey. And that's the Tom joke of the night. All right, I'm done. <laughs> no, that's, I, that's funny, though, because at that moment, I actually thought not the same thing. But I was like, it sounds weird saying that to an ape. Yeah. Say, right. don't, don't speak. Try not, to, try not to speak. You're a monkey. Yeah, that's weird. I think the, the challenge with this film, and that and I may be, speak to some of the performances by the, the human actors, the, the, or the human, I guess the human characters, um, is that this really is the, the ape story. And so they, the, all the human characters tend to be of a more supporting role because uh, I think you have to talk about, you know, the balance of we've talked about Caesar, but even even Koba, that performance, you know, that that character and just how that character is written. And again, how how do we characterize those performances for the the motion capture performance? But I think that is really the strength of the film and to be able to sit back and look at. You know the facial expressions, the the performance, the the physicality of the performances 
I think is going to overwhelm uh, any of the, the human performances. I mean, yeah, Jason Clark holds his own, and I think Gary Oldman does the Gary Oldman thing, and nothing to you know critique about it. I think it does it well, but I think because the story is so ape-centric, um, that's really where <laughs> we're going to see so much of the 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 transformation in the characters, you know, the, the relationship between Caesar and his son that we see over, over several scenes and that performance. And I guess, because we're not familiar with how do you read ape body language in a performance? How do they get that across? And that may be the, the challenge of, you know, the, the subtleties of that. Cause I think uh, Caesar's wife, you know, that yes, she was sick, but that was one where I thought I was just, wasn't getting a lot of emotion through that that performance and I was really surprised to see that it was Judy Greer that was the actress that was playing that role because I don't didn't really get anything from the performance yeah again it's funny to say that she was sort of poorly used because really mostly she was just laying down and framed by other monkeys and whining and having a weird thing on her head but it speaks in general it speaks in general to (laughs) to how the, the it speaks in general how the females were treated uh, or female roles were written, I should say, in the film. They were vastly underwritten, really, is what it boils down to. Yeah, yeah side, actually, that's a good human point. Side. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great observation. And it doesn't pass that. What's that test? The Beck Bechtick test? Oh, no idea. Yeah, there's anyone a know? test, right? I know what you're talking about. It's like uh, it's I the talked test. about it with the people that I saw the movie with today, and I'm so dumb that I don't remember. But the idea is that it was a test written from. Uh, by a, a, a female writer in a graphic novel yeah. just as a joke, but then it became kind of a serious thing. The uh, basic the, idea... The Bechdel the, yeah, test. The Bechdel test. That Bechdel you have to, test. It's the two women characters, they have to talk to each other, and they have to talk to something besides a man. Yeah, exactly. and you don't... You don't, you don't I... Right, the joke... There's a, there's a joke about it, which is... Uh, Two women walk into a bar. One woman says to the other, "Hey, have you heard about the Bechdel test?" And the other woman says, "Yeah, uh, my boyfriend told me about yeah, it." Right. <laughs> right. Uh, this film would fail that by definition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was only one character, uh, one real female character of Nate of note. But um, but also going into what we were saying about the emotions about uh, apes versus humans and stuff, and going back to uh, the director. I mean, you know me and my dislike or inability to connect with fake things, riding on fake things, doing fake things. This movie had, you know, an ape double fisting, not double fisting, double wielding machine guns <laughs> on <Yes>. a horseback. <laughs> and I didn't laugh and walk out of the theater. <laughs> That's funny like, because I actually made that mental note. Tom must be crawling out of his skin I at, was, a, at a CG ape on a horse. I was okay with it because I think that's the the way that he made it work, the director. You know what I mean? Like he made it feel, while I didn't care for the overall emotional resonance of the sequence, you know, I think he's really talented. Truly. All right. Hey, you know what? We've been talking for a long time. Let's buzz through any other uh, notes you've got and uh, and crank on to the, uh, the part that I know you're all most excited about. Well, I want to point out uh, Terry Notary, who is uh, – he played Rocket in the film, actually, and in Rise of the Planet of the Apes also. He um, not only played Rocket, but he is a movement coach, and he's studied apes. And so I think 
a huge kudos needs to go out to him because he actually is the one who trained all the actors, including Andy Serkis, as to how to actually walk like an ape when you're walking on all fours, how to walk like an ape would be on, on when you're walking on just two legs. And, I mean, he's a movement coach who's been doing not just ape movement, but movement in films since uh, 2000 when he helped Jim Carrey with in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, just all sorts of stuff, but... There's something about uh, what he has brought to this film that I, I think, aside from the amazing actors who are, are doing this and the amazing effects people, these people had to actually learn how to move like apes do. And I think uh, that's really uh, due to Terry. Cool. You know, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think, uh, and, and Andy and I talked about this, there's this idea that, um, you know, particularly as we were watching the, the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, for Rise, um, one of the things to note is just how different the apes move from one another, right? Yeah. yeah. They don't all move like the same ape. Like they each, it is so unique. And I think you're, uh, that's a great shout out probably to. Right. Cause the, the know, chimps and the orangutans, yeah. yeah, they all have to have their own different thing. Right. Right. It doesn't have so. that kind of fake, like long shot of a bunch of fake CGI people all moving in the same way. Right. You're right. That's great. Yeah. And Michael Giacchino did the music, and it was uh, fantastic. It was an amazing score. So uh, big kudos to Michael for this. Did Thank we you. We, why did were you Michael? What? <laughs> oh, I was just pretending to be. I'm that sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, he did. Did we talk about Space Mountain at uh, Disney? You know, oh. he does the he does the music for Space Mountain now. Oh, yeah. They actually tell you it's a it's a Michael Giacchino score. Is there new music yeah. or he always? Oh, really? No, it's new music. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, it's awesome. crazy. It's really, it's really, it's cool. It's a great score for a roller coaster. Can you find it online? I don't know. I've never tried. All right. All Very right then. All right. <laughs> Anybody else have any final points? Um, the look of the film, production design, uh, cinematography. I think everything looked really great all through. I didn't see really problems with anything in the film. No. Just giving a nice shout out to all them. They did great. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think this is a test, and I don't want to feel like I'm rushing. If you guys want to jump into and talk about some, but I think this is a great uh, testament to the film that we end up spending more time talking about the the uh, sort of philo- philosophical and cultural implications of apes that can speak. Uh, and build civilization um, more than than just the movie. I mean, this this is a movie that caused us to ask some questions, and I really I, I appreciate that, and I think that's a sign of the whole production was fantastic. It helped this time, conversation help me appreciate it more. The yeah. last time we had a conversation like this was for Divergent, I think, actually. Yeah, uh. <laughs> you loved it. <laughs> I say we flick chart it, shall we? Flick chart, flick chart, grab a banana, it's flick chart time. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to say. Is <laughs> I forgot to say this when it was appropriate. You can edit this in. Instead of having a huge stockpile in this weird warehouse that is outside of the main uh, walls, instead of filling that filled with guns, we should just fill them with bananas. Oh. Monkeys love bananas, do, am I right? Love, uh, yes. Hey, you know, speaking of, in uh, Battle for Planet of the Apes, I thought this was really charming. Uh, you know, when the, the apes are living as servants and... Uh, and, and wait conquest. Or as conquest. They're living as servants and, and wait staff at major right. restaurants. Right. And uh, they tip the, the uh, wait staff in raisins. 
I thought that was so cute. <laughs> the monkeys come up and they, they give him raisins. It's, it's really, it's quite adorable. Yeah. And Flickchart. So you head over to flickchart.com uh, slash TNR Film Board. And you can see all the films that we've talked about. Uh, the, the Gang of Thugs has come together to talk about and see how this film, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, is going to stack up. Shall we? Let's find out. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Cloud Atlas. <gasps> I finally seen Cloud Atlas. I can rank this one. Yay. Me too. <laughs> Yay. Wow. Steve, oh. you go first. I'm so excited. It's like prom okay. night. Yay. Apes. <laughs> Cloud Ooh. Atlas. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. However will it end. <laughs> Andy? This feels like a setup in, in one of the shows, one of the many shows with judges where, you know, one goes one way, then the next goes the next way. Which way will it go now? It always has but to be I, a tiebreaker, yeah. It, it always, yeah, it seems that way. I'm, I'm going Planet of the Apes on this one. Uh I'll tell you in about 10 minutes after this commercial break. <laughs> uh, I also am going to go Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I'm still going Planet of the Apes. Hmm. Wait, was the Winter Soldier the one that I didn't see? Uh, I'm so dumb. No, oh, no, I, no, I, I got it. You no, yeah. was this, just this past April. Yeah. Right. You were That's there. right. I'm, I'm going to say uh, Captain America. Mm. Oh. I'm also going to say Captain America. Oh, Steve. Slemma. Steve. Um, Don't blow this for us. Uh, Steve. Well, Steve, I, I have nothing in. <laughs> I have oh, nothing my gosh. Because they're. Okay, they both have a lot to. But they have Come a lot that they go on. They have a large, large scale story. But I'll, I'm going to tell. I'm going to. Tell one you why. America, one Be- because of what I call the Dharma Exposition Bunker, I oh. have to go with apes. Because I think just the, the, <laughs> the script and the structure and the, the thematic resonances with this film, I'm going to set it apart. They're both, I mean, this is a really close one for me. But I think Captain America just had a few little flaws that just kind of kept it there. Wait, so the, we have a tie. The Dharma Exposition. Exposition, Exposition bunker. bunker? Yes. Is this a new thing? What that you? No, and Captain yeah. America when they're down in the bunker and they encounter the thing and the Toby Jones, the computer program, like unloads. Oh, when they found our what's yeah. his name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I call it the Dharma that's, Expedition right. Bunker. Yeah, that was that's a that's good name. That's the for sequence it. that you that's going to throw Captain America. Yes. Wow. Yeah, because it, it it bothered me. And if you go back and listen to our discussion, I'll, I, I, you're right. The, you're and whereas idea. with this one, there's not. Re- I mean, not saying this is you know without maybe some. This little had flaws, some but nothing that really, exposition. It did, but it, up front, but everything else, I've just it. As I said, it, it just clicked along for me in the right. character pieces. So now we're a, a house divided cannot stand against itself. Curses. All right. Here we go. Just write that. That's amazing. Shakespeare. I stole it from the Lego Movie. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> I was divided against itself would be better than this. Uh, all right, are you, are you ready, Andy? Shall we? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're gonna are you gonna rock paper apes for it? Is we, we're gonna, gonna rock paper yeah. apes. Who? Do, what does apes beat? Everything, because they they bang the rocks together to start fire that sets the paper, you know, on fire. So paper paper does cover ape though. <laughs> paper. Wow. No, no, no. Fire burns. Right apes. here we go. Rock, rock paper scissors. Paper. <laughs> okay. Ready. One. Two, 
three, scissors. Damn. Yes. All right. Fine. Yes. I don't think I saw this movie. <laughs> Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Prisoners? Oh. <sighs> Prisoners. I would say Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I'll definitely watch it more than Prisoners. Prisoners is a hard film to watch. Yeah, I would say Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yep, I'm still yeah. sticking with yeah. Prisoners. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch Apes more often, and I think because I'm going to... Pete, I'm going to disagree with you on the fact that I think this one will hold up later on, and I think it's going to, especially when we get the next one, which I'm hoping they crack that story opening, that this is going to have that pivotal, almost Empire Strikes Back moment feel to it. I, oh. hope so. I hope so, too. I really do. I just, yeah. and, and I'm not saying I don't think it will. I'm just yeah. saying I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, but I'm still with you. I'm going to go with Planet yeah. of the Apes over Prisoners. Oh, yeah. This one. oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Planet of the Apes. All right. Well, let's see where this one goes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Edge of Tomorrow? Our Edge of favorite. Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow with a bullet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Mm-hmm. I, I, gosh, I would actually go Edge of Tomorrow on this one. As much as I love Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Edge of Tomorrow is just a joy to watch from beginning to end. Yes, yeah. I agree. Don't you want to so, watch so that is, one again? So is Dawn. So is Dawn. It's a darker movie film. again. Ugh, it's so right. upsetting. Ugh. So I, who are we waiting on? Oh yeah, no, 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 I, 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 I agree. Edge of Tomorrow. Oh really? I mean, oh, that was, it's, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think we're we're unanimous. He, he was, was quietly just, agreeing. Yeah, I was like, my voice, my voice doesn't count on this it doesn't matter we've all it's agreed it's nice to yeah. hear it's nice okay to hear. yeah no it's yeah all easily. right yeah all right well there we are dawn of the planet of the apes is number three on wow. sandwich mm. between edge of tomorrow and prisoners uh you know out of 24 films it is number three so there you go awesome awesome I, you know, I we're on a stretch, uh, gents. I feel pretty good about this. We had a couple of good movies in a row. I don't want to jinx it, but I probably just did. Yep, <laughs> did. way to go. I hope not, because I'm really looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, you just gave it away. That's next month. It, I didn't give it away. It's on our letterboxed page. Exactly where you gave it away before. <laughs> before right. people went and looked there. Right. <laughs> before Pete had a chance to say, hey, everybody I, go check out on Letterboxd. Yeah, you should do that too. Letterboxd.com slash it's still the next reel, right? We, we don't have a yes, board page. It, no, it's the next reel. And we have a little list set up over there right now. Yep, the next reel right. film boards watch list. There we go. That's what you're looking for. You can find out what movie to watch uh, and get yourself prepped. Uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy next month. Uh, hey, uh, uh, Tommy Hanson, thanks so much for uh, for joining the gang tonight, as always. Thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And Steve Sarmento, good to hear your always, voice, as uh, always. always. Yes, it's always a joy to, to delve into deep, meaningful discussions with you gents. Andy, Andy, Andy. <laughs> you again <laughs> well it was a lovely conversation about a fantastic movie it was i am i feel like the summer season is starting to is starting off uh well i now, just hope that it actually does well at the box office i hope that uh considering edge of tomorrow uh you know is just barely cracked the top 20 i think it's hanging on at number 19 of of releases this year i'm hoping that dawn will find a way to kind of get in there too because this has been a kind of a, a rough year for film, so it, it has, and I, I feel like this may be the reverse jinx. Like all last year, all the movies we did for the film board were terrible, uh, but I think they performed well. And now all the movies that we're seeing are great, and we're totally screwing them over at the box office. 
So this is the the reverse curse. Um, <laughs> what if we were in charge of Hollywood? What if it was oh, what a us? mess? Oh. Hey, this was fun. Thanks, everybody. Uh, check us out at thenextreel.com. You can read the blog stylings of the Once and Future King, Steve Sarmento. See all the regular Next Reel shows. Uh, listen to all the episodes of all the great movies that we've talked about. And, of course, uh, all of the other film board shows. That's all I have to say. And good night. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 